Um, so we're, that's where we're going to be today if you want to go over there. Now this gospel, uh, we've, here's the deal. One of the things I want to kind of keep bringing us back around to is the fact that this, this gospel um, was written not just by like an eyewitness uh, of the, the, you know, the writer John. Yes, he was an eyewitness um, of Jesus' life and ministry and death and resurrection. Um, but here's something important to remember is that this guy is one of Jesus' best friends. Like this is one of the ones, this is, this is one of the guys in his inner circle, in his, in his close circle of uh, Jesus' circle. And he tells us that the reason that he wrote this gospel is so that you and I might just get a glimpse of Jesus. That we might get a glimpse and see who he is, a historic and accurate glimpse of Jesus. And then through that lens, through seeing Jesus, uh, through, through John, the lens of John, his friend John here, that we would be given faith to know and to love and to follow Jesus. And so he says, hey, man, uh, you, we were really close. Um, John and I were, were, were friends. Yes, I was an eyewitness account of all these things. And, and John says, I set this before you so that you would see how beautiful Jesus is, that you would love him, that you would follow him. Of all the things that we, we, we capture in here, those were the, the purpose of all of this. And so um, I want to make this disclaimer. Uh, for the one in the room or the few in the room who might not follow Jesus, uh, let me give you this disclaimer right quick. Um, this church cannot save you. This, this family, can, they cannot save you. Um, I cannot save you. There's not a person in this room that can save you. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, the last thing that you need, the last thing in the world that you need is for me to present to you a list of acceptable, uh, an acceptable behavior list that you would need to adhere to. That's the last thing you need right now because that can't save you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, what you need more than anything is to get a clear look at who Jesus is. That's what you need. That's what I need. That's what, and, and, and that's not just for those who don't follow Jesus. It, here's the deal. The followers of Jesus, myself, I, I, I align myself with the way of Jesus Christ. Um, I am a Christian, and so I want to grow. I want to mature. I want to love people better. I want to love well. So I need the same thing. I need to get a good, clear shot at who Jesus is. I need a good, clear picture of who he is and what he came to do. And so that's how that happens. And so what, when, when, for the Christian in the room, I would say uh, this word, uh, this is what dethrones sin in your life. This is what undoes sin in your life is coming near the word, not, not anything that, that, that might be said in this room or, or in, your, in your circle of friends, but I'm saying right here, this is what you need. Both follower of Jesus and those who don't follow Jesus, we need a clear shot at Jesus. We need to see him clearly. And so John gives us that, and we're going to be moving into chapter 18. And as we go there, one of the things that's going to happen is we're going to be brought deeper and deeper into the mystery of Christ, of, of who he is. The very crux of the good news, the very center of the good news lies within these next few chapters that we're, that we're going to be going through. That Jesus would be tormented, that he would be betrayed, that he would be rejected, that he would die on a cross, that he would be put in a tomb that we would learn is only a temporary place for him to be, and that he would be resurrected. And, 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 and it's important because if the gospel of John ended at chapter 17, where we stopped last week, if, if Jesus said, you know what, we did ministry, it's been real 
it's been fun, guys. It's been cool. And so I'm going to say a little prayer. And then we're going to, you know, that's how the Christian way of transitioning from place to place is to say a prayer. And so Jesus, uh, Jesus says, okay, I'm going to pray. And he prays to the Father and he prays uh, that his Father would be glorified and that he would be glorified in his Father. And then he prays for that circle of 11, the, the disciples around him. And then he prays for you and me. Uh, those of us who might come to know Jesus through the teaching, through the word of the apostles. And at that point, if he would have said, okay, I'm out. We did ministry. I modeled ministry for you. I prayed for you, and now I'm done. Like if he would, if he would, have, if he would have done that, if that's where it would have been, then Jesus would only be a good prophet or a good teacher. That's it. That's all he would have been. And, and let me tell you something. That is not good news for my soul. The fact that Jesus would alone be a teacher or a prophet or just a good man is not good news for my soul, for the darkest parts of my life. If Jesus was only meant to be an example of someone that I'm supposed to emulate, someone I'm supposed to model my life after, that's even worse news. Right? So I don't, I don't want to sit here and say, you need to be more like Jesus, right? Yes, we need to be more like Jesus, but understand that in that, in stepping through that, we get to see just how insufficient we are at being like Jesus. And so if, if he's given, us, given to us only as an example to follow, then that's bad news for all of us because we can't measure up. So in our text today, John's going to carry us beyond Jesus just being a good teacher or a good prophet or just a good man who had a, who's a miracle worker. Who, and he's going to take us right into the heart of the gospel. And so over the next Two months, that's where we're going. We're going to the center of the gospel, the reality that Jesus is actually Savior of the world. That He atoned for sin. That He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The one who overthrew death. And that's what makes Jesus great news. That's what makes Jesus great news. And so I want to uh, just point your attention to John chapter 18. And I'm going to... I'm going to read the chunk that we're going to be in today. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 32. And so if you have a Bible or a, a, another means to see, see the word, you can follow along in verse 1 of chapter 18. And so when Jesus had spoken these words, that's, he's wrapping his prayer up at this point. He went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often uh, met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill, fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. And then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. And since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. 
So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. And the servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. And now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. And Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. What do you ask me? Or why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of the disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied, and at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning, and they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So there's so many things going on in here, and I'm going to tell you this, we're not going to cover all of them. I wish we could, but it, honestly, this is probably another six weeks of stuff in the, just in this text right here. Um, and so you're going to see a little bit of my ADD come out a little bit today. We're going to kind of jump back and forth and hit some verses out of order. Uh, but what I want us to do is get the main theme of verses 1 through 32 here is where we're going to go. And as we get going, I want to show you some of the people that are in this text. It's important for us to kind of pick out those, those people who, who play a role in here. First, you saw Judas, right? He showed up. This guy, obviously, what we've learned so far is he's a lover of money. Um, he, he loves money, and not only does he love money, but he would use Jesus to get money. Um, this is this guy uh, uh, who uh, not only loved money, used Jesus to get money, but actually sold Jesus for little to nothing, just a little bit of money. And so this guy is just kind of wicked through and through, man. He's jacked up really bad. Uh, and then you have Peter, uh, who was the professional boaster of the group. Um, this was the guy who said, I won't deny him. Never, Jesus. I will go to death before I deny you. And you just saw what happened. Like, literally cussed out a little girl, denying Jesus. that I, I don't know who he is. And so he's, he's Mr. Um, professional boaster. And then you have the high priest. Um, and I'll just maybe give you a little snapshot. There's Annas and there's Caiaphas. Those are two people that play a role in this, um, 
in this, in this text right here. And just to try to help maybe clear some things up, it's not really relevant to where we're going, but it's, it's in Scripture, so I want to clear this up. Uh, the, way, uh, the, the way the government was structured, uh, the way the politics were stru- structured during this day, uh, Rome kind of, uh, they, they were the powerhouse. They kind of controlled everything politically uh, and, and militarily. Uh, but they allowed the Jews to kind of practice their laws and religions and things like that. And so uh, what they didn't allow was a high priest um, for the Jews to appoint their own high priest, because this is a guy who kind of ruled over everything. And so they would kind of take, one, uh, take a guy who, who would kind of work in their favor and put him as high priest. And so Annas was probably actually the, the real Jewish high priest for that, for that, at that time, um, but, but Caiaphas would be the one uh, whom the, uh, Rome had appointed as high priest. And so that's why you have these, these two characters. But we have them, and both of them are conniving. Both of them are, are being deceitful, and they're questioning Jesus, and they're trying to trap Jesus, and they're not really asking questions for, uh, for knowledge or for learning, right? They're just trying to get him caught in a trap, so they're questioning him. Then you have all these religious officials around, right? Just imagine the room. There's religious officials everywhere, um, and this gives us one of the clearest pictures of the wickedness of man-centered religion. Is, is what we get in here. Jesus, and Jesus talked about this. Like you saw in the text where he said, you know what, we, don't, we can't enter into the, the praetorium. Like we can't, we can't go into the governor's uh, home, right, his headquarters, because we, we want to be able to celebrate the Passover. And if we go in there, it's going to defile us. All the while, they're wanting to kill the Lamb of God, right? They're wanting to sack, they're, they're ready to lie. They're ready to do all kinds of things uh, but we don't want to do that, right? And so you just see the hypocrisy. And, and Jesus would even call it out in the book of Matthew. He would say, you know, you, uh, you hypocrites, you Pharisees. And he would go and say, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. And you see that picture of being played out right here in this text. And so we have these guys, they're staging this illegal trial, right? And it's, a, it's really, it's a circus, man. It's, it's a circus going on around here. They're just trying to set up some kind of mock trial that really doesn't make sense. That's not following the, the political order of, of how people would be put on trial. And so it's just crazy. And it's almost foolish to watch it go down. These guys would, would physically attack the Son of God like they're aiming to kill him. They, will, they want him dead. And they're trying to avoid going into a Gentile's house. Like, you see the hypocrisy in that? We want to see this guy hanging on a tree by the time the sun goes down for nothing, just that he's kind of getting into our interest, but we can't go into the governor's house. We can't go into the house of a Gentile. We would be defiled and we wouldn't be able to celebrate the Passover. So hypocrisy, and that's man-centered religion, and that's that's what'll get you. That's what it'll get you. And you see the Romans here, they're just blind. Like, they're just going, going with the flow. Whatever the Jews are telling them, arrest this man. Okay, arrest this guy. I don't know who he is. We're going to arrest him. Where do you want us to take him? What do you want us to do with him? Like, they're not even, they're just blind to who Jesus even is. And in the midst of this story, what I want us to point out, why I'm pointing out these people, is that they're not just characters. Like, these aren't just people, just random characters that are presented to us. Each one, each person that we see in this picture uh, of this story right here is showing how desperately we need Jesus to do exactly what he's about to go do. You see all of these people and all of their actions, and you say, we need Jesus to follow through on where he's headed. We need Jesus to do that. So that that's the point I wanted to pull out for those, those people, because here's the deal. We, too, are the high priests. We too are the high priest. We will question God. We will question God not so that we can know more about him and, and love him and follow him and, and, and commune with him, but we'll question God 
to accuse him, right? How many, how many times have you said, you know what, God, how dare you take that person from me? How dare you do that to me, God? We question him just like the high priest. Religious officials the same way. Like we too are just like those who would go to great lengths to keep the rules and try to enslave God to our obedience. To try to say, you know what, God, you can't do that to me because I did X, Y, and Z for you. We try to hold God hostage through our good works and our good deeds, just like the religious officials are, are trying to do here. How dare you take that from me? I'm a charitable, charitable person. How dare you do this thing to me, God? I served all last week at the, uh, uh, for, for the evacuees. Like, you try to take God hostage with your good works. So you're not, you're not much different than the religious officials. How dare you take my marriage from me? I'm a good person. Man-centered religion is nothing but building a resume so that you can put God in your debt. That's all it is. And that's what we see here. And we're guilty of it too. We need to see Jesus follow through on where he's going to because we're guilty of it too. We're like the Romans. We're missing Jesus at every turn. We're not looking for him. I ask this question all the time with our teams. What do you see God doing? How do you see God working in your life? How do you see God working in our church family right now? Because we need to be looking for God. We don't need to miss Jesus, but we do so often. And we're, we're too like Peter, right? We've denied Jesus. Yeah, we might, the words might not have come out of our mouth, but our lives would deny Jesus. And so these aren't just random people who are in a random place in, in God's story. God has included this, these people in this story, in this text, to show us the state of humanity, to show us the state of our own souls, to show us how bad we need someone better to do something on our behalf. Someone who is better than us, who's, who've been able, who's been able to overcome these obstacles, these sins, to do something for us. And that someone here is Jesus, who's going to break through the darkness, and he's going to allow his glory to shine through in this text. And here's the deal. Jesus is in control. He's actually in control of the situation that's going on here right now. If you look at verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? Jesus is the one that gets up and relocates to the place that he will need to be for his arrest. They didn't catch up with Jesus as he was running and trying to flee from them. They didn't have Jesus in a corner. Jesus got up from where he was and he relocated to the place of his arrest, where he would need to be captured. And he says all the right words to both the Jews and to Pilate and to the Pharisees and to the high priest. Says all the right things that would guarantee his crucifixion. Says all the things, goes to the right places, says the right things to make sure that by sundown he would be hanging from a tree. Jesus is in control of this situation. He's in control of it. He's working all these details in a certain way because he knows that this has to take place. 
That if we're to be reconciled to God, this moment has to take place. Up to this point, it's been good ministry, it's been miracles, it's been prayer, and, and it can't stop there because man will not be reconciled to God if we don't step through this next part. And so I have to make sure that I'm hanging, off, hanging from a tree by sundown. So I'm going to be in the right place and I'm going to say the right thing because Jesus knew all of these things that was going to happen to him. He's in control of all of it. And if he can be in control in this situation, in this chaos, in this madness, he's dealing with misguided religious leaders, greedy disciples, violent and blind Romans, friends who deny him. If he can be in control of all of that, don't you think that he could be in control of your situation, that he's able to be in control of whatever chaos that you might find yourself in today? Don't you think he can work within that? Paul was certain that he could work within it. Paul would say in Romans 8, and we know that for, that for, all, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, everything. And when Paul said all things, he meant all things, good, bad, indifferent. All things work together for good. All things. And so Jesus is in control of this situation, and the point is, is that it's going to work itself out for good. It's going to work itself out for good. And so I realize that in this moment, people in this room, you're going through stuff. Here's, like, here's the deal. We've had more conversations of over just the last six months that are both meaningful and, that are both, and, and tough that we've probably had in the existence of our church up to this point. Just with people who are either kind of God's doing something in their life or they're walking through this dark time. Like there's just so many things that have been been happening lately and here's what I can confidently confidently say at, at this point is that I don't know how God intends to bring good into the situation into every one of these situations I can't call that I don't have that vision right but I do know this that he's not a liar he cannot lie and so when he says that he's going to work all things for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, then it's going to happen. That's what I do know. And so let that be an encouragement today. That what we know to be true is that even in the darkest moments, Jesus is working for your good and for God's glory in all things, in all moments. Even in this moment right here, his glory starts to spill out a little bit. You kind of see it. Look at the first part of verse 5. It says, they answered him, they're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He says, who are you looking for? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Like, that's probably what your, your Bibles say, but literally it is, I am. Jesus literally would say, I am. Does any of your Bibles say, I am? Or does all of them say, I am he or I am him? The, the, the translation there is, I am. And so when they came to Jesus and said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, he would say, I am. And here's the deal. That points us back to the very beginning of the story. In Exodus chapter 3, when, when God is telling Moses, I want you to go into Egypt and I want you to liberate my people. You go and you tell them that I sent you. And he says, I don't have a name to tell Pharaoh who you are. I don't, who, who should I say sent me? He says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Jesus is pointing to the reality that yes, he is human. Yes, 
he was a carpenter. Yes, he faced temptation. Yes, he was weak and frail. Yes, he was going to die, but he is also God. That's the reality that he's pointing at right there. He's, he's the I am who created all things from nothing. And so his response to them when they come looking for him was, I am. And look what happens. This is something we typically read over a pretty good deal in verse 6. When Jesus said to them, I am he or I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Did anybody pick up on that when we was reading through that? We're looking for Jesus. Here I am. And they fall back on the ground. Does anybody find that kind of weird? No, he said, I am God. I am, the, I am the very living God that you say you worship. That's how he identifies himself. These guys weren't here out of love and reverence and worship and respect for Jesus. That wasn't what, what was going on in that moment. For a split second, we see the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ here in this moment. And when I say the glory of God, I'm talking about the weightiness of God, the full scope, the magnitude of who he is. Like we get to see a glimpse of Jesus there. And, and when you get a glimpse of God's glory, what we see in this text is the standard reaction to seeing God's glory, to getting a glimpse of it. Now, I say reaction and not response, right? Because a response would mean like, I'm considering how I should act in this moment. No, 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 it's a reaction. It's something that happens every time someone gets a glimpse of the glory of God. And we see it, even the righteous people like Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, he says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two they, he flew. And one called to the other, another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And, and I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I, Isaiah sees this and says, I am completely undone in this moment. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's, that's the reaction to God's glory. The, even the gospel writer John here, we would get a, a picture in the book of Revelation at the end of your Bible, uh, who's someone who's very close to Jesus. We've established that. Close friends with Jesus. Walked with him for three years. Good friends. Seen eyewitness accounts of all the things that he's done. And then he gets a glimpse of the glory of God in Revelation in chapter 1, verse 17. When I saw him, the response is, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's, that's what happens when you come in contact with the glory of God. Ezekiel says the glory, sees the glory of God and he falls down. Daniel sees the glory of God and he falls to the ground. Saul of Tarsus gets kicked from his mule and falls to the ground when he sees the glory of God. And so what we get from this text is a reminder that Jesus is not just another human being who had a lot of good things to say and did a lot of good works who's now being victimized at the hands of these people, he is actually the God-man. Jesus is actually the God-man, the one who made himself vulnerable by putting on flesh and coming to dwell among men to bring a final defeat to sin and death. That's who he is. That's who we see. The one whose glory is so rich that it literally throws people to the ground. That's who we have here. And he is willing to step into the call on his life here. We see this and look at verse 10 with me. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, which was really kind of like, a, it wasn't like a, a sword, it was a little dagger is what he had. 
um, he, he pulls this sword. He drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut his right ear off. The servant's name was Malchus. Just to let you know that this is an eyewitness account. This is a real thing that happened and there's a real person with a name. And so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? The cross is not an afterthought. The cross is not something that's, you know, just it's happening in the moment and this is, the, this is all that's transpiring. This was God's plan from the very beginning of time to reconcile man to himself. It was always in the plan. And all of Scripture points to this moment in the center of history. The cross is the moment that everything points to. All the, the, the hour that we've been learning about, that we've been talking about, it's the cross. And all of history and all of God's story centers on the cross. And this is the moment. And the purpose of Jesus' life was to become the acceptable and the perfect lamb to be sacrificed in order to take away the sins of the world. He came to die for people like Peter, and he came to die for people like me, who would continually deny him. He came to die for the Romans and people like me, me who, who are blind to him. He came to die for the religious circle and me who make sad attempts to hold God hostage by our good deeds. And every one of us are guilty of that. We all try to pull that with God. And he came to die for the high priest and he came to die for me who would question him and who would accuse the very essence of God. He came to die. Jesus looks at Peter and he looks at you and me and he, he glares us right in the eyes and says, you know what, guys? I need to drink this cup that my Father has given to me. I on your behalf, I need to drink this cup. And that's why he came. And if you leave this part out of the gospel, you have no gospel at all. There's no good news if this doesn't happen. Without this part, you only have a good teacher or a good prophet or a good guy. But in this hour, in the very moment that God takes a step, He moves to make an accomplishment that salvation will, will come on your behalf through Jesus Christ, that He's going to take that on Himself. And so what makes Jesus so beautiful is that this was our cup to drink. This was our cup to drink that He said, I'm going to take it on myself because I'm the only one with the track record that will make it acceptable. I'm the only one that has what it takes to be a, an acceptable sacrifice. None of us do. Only Christ. And he said, I'm doing it on your behalf. And he protects his flock. You look at verse 8. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. I told you that I am. So if you seek me, let these men go. And this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken, or what he prayed to the Father just in the chapter before. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I, whenever I get stressed, whenever I, whenever I feel pressure, I become the most selfish person on the planet. Like, I'm, I'm serious. I, when I'm sick, it's all about me. Like, I can't deal with other people. I need focus here. I need attention on me. I need people dealing with me, right? When I'm overwhelmed, it's all about me. When I'm when I'm wrestling with bouts of anxiety, it's all about me. Like, I'm a selfish person whenever I, whenever I come under pressure or whenever I get stressed. And yet here we have Jesus in the darkest moment of his life. He's facing rejection. He's facing abandonment. He's beginning to feel the weight of God's wrath and judgment on him. He's already kind of seeing that coming. 
And in the midst of this crazy moment, what do you see? Standing up for his friends, pastoring his friends, shepherding his circle. That's what he's doing in this moment. In the, in the most stressful moment of his life, that's what, that's what he's doing. And then he puts his accusers on trial. Look at verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered them, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Do you see how he's just kind of flipping the whole show now? And he's, got, he's, having, he's questioning the people who, who've, who's brought him in for questioning. He's, he's put his accusers on trial here. He would go to Pilate, and Pilate would also grill him in an effort to make sense of this dog and pony show that's going on. And he puts Pilate on, on trial. He would say, we'll be there next week. But he says, Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did, did you say that because other people told you that? Like, why are you asking me the question? See how he just kind of flips it around, puts the pressure back on Pilate to say, think about what you're asking me. So he flips the script and he does it in a very calm, he does it in a very manageable way and he actually puts his accusers on the stand. He says, I've got some questions for you. Because ultimately, here's the deal, Jesus is not the one on trial here. Everyone in the circle, we, caught, we get caught up in this story and we think Jesus is on trial here. He's not on trial. He is not on trial here. When, this, when the dust settles from all of this, we're going to see two things. We're going to see Jesus' vindication, right? We saw that in, in Colossians. says He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them, over them in him. So we get to see his vindication and we get to see our desperate need for a Savior through this. We get to see this ultimately when all the dust settles. What we see is Jesus is the victor and we need him. He is the victor. He's the one who has overthrown the rule and the reign of the enemy, has, has conquered sin, conquered death, and has, has generously provided righteousness for those whom the Father would give him. And so we need him. And I think it's okay. Here's the deal. I think it's okay those of you who would be considered a skeptic in the room, I think it's okay for you to ask questions, right? I think it's fine for you to ask questions. Uh, I, I, I've got friends who, who don't buy into the whole uh, Jesus thing and the Christianity thing and think, you know, but, but they have questions and I love that. I think it's great. But here's the, here's the deal. Just know that as you ask questions and as you, as you try to understand God and who he is, just know that God's going to have some questions to ask you too. Like go ahead and it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to try to explore who God is, but just know that as you do that, he's got some questions for you too. He's got questions for you too. Based on what you've seen so far, what are you going to do about Jesus? Based on the picture that, that John has given us in this scripture, what are you going to do about Jesus? What are you going to do about the reality that God's Son came and sacrificed His life on your behalf? What do you do with that? What do you do with what God is showing you in the creation that He spoke into existence? What are you, what are you going to do with that? that? The creation that points to Him and His glory, what do you do with that? That's the questions that He has for you. Go ahead and question Him, but answer the questions He has for you. What are you going to do with the brokenness that 
I know that we all experience in our hearts and in our souls. What are you going to do with that? Knowing that Jesus came to redeem you. Knowing that Jesus came to, to make you new. So God's not interested in belittling you. He's not interested in ignoring you. He's not interested in ignoring your doubts or your questions. Go ahead and ask the tough questions, but be ready to answer his tough questions. Be ready to answer his questions too. And just like we see Jesus' questions here, right? The questions of God are going to cut to the very heart of who we are and, and, and what we're about and how bad we need a Savior. So for the one whose faith is in Christ here, for the one who, who aligns him or her, his or her life with Jesus, the pictures that we've seen so far in this series through the Gospel of John, uh, with a glimpse of Jesus, that needs to be burnt into our memories. So what we know about Jesus, what we understand about Jesus, who he is and what he's done has to be burnt into our memories. It has to, we have to know who he is because when darkness covers your life, when those moments come in, it doesn't have to be all about me, right? But when the darkness covers your life, you'll know the way to, re to, to redemption and to forgiveness. You have to remember Jesus. You have to remember who he is, what he's done. And the truth of who Jesus is, is he's accomplished um, what he's accomplished should mean more than whatever's going on. So, so what I know about Jesus to be true should trump any way that I'm feeling, any situation that I'm in right now. Like what I know to be true about Jesus should trump all of that. It should, it should trump all of that. So for, for you who follow Jesus, just let this be a reminder, this text today, of what it means to belong to Jesus. Just remember who Jesus is. And remember that we are inadequate outside of his, of his forgiveness and outside of his redemption. And that he's the hope and foundation that you build your life on. And because of this, because of this, as we remember that, Jesus has the freedom, he has the liberty to ask whatever he wants from us. Those of us who follow Jesus, he has the liberty to ask whatever he wants from us. And we need to be willing to let it go, to gladly lay our yes down to him. And so for the one or the few in here who would say, I don't follow Jesus, I don't know who Jesus is, or I'm skeptical of who Jesus is, or I had a bad taste in my mouth about who Jesus is, and I'm just really not interested. My prayer for you today, our prayer for you today, is that through this text, through the Gospel of John, that you would get a glimpse of the beauty and the majesty of who Jesus is, and that you would lean in to all that he has for you. Not having all the answers, but knowing that he's okay with your questions, that he's okay with your skepticism, he's okay with your doubt, but just be open and be willing to be exposed so that you could receive forgiveness and that you could receive a new heart as you determine to follow him, no matter the cost. So would you pray with me? Father, we come to you now, and we look at this word and we look at your truth, And Father, I am both, um, I'm both grateful for what we see here. And Father, I am I'm humbled under this word. That we see that in all of these um, moments, in all of these um, people in this text, that we're not so far off. But I'm not so far off. And Jesus, I need you. 
as a Savior, I need you as a rescue. I need you to, to be the sacrifice for me. So in your word and, and through your truth of who you are and what you've done, would you redeem and would you forgive? Would you reconcile us back to the Father through the work on the cross? Thank you, Jesus. That you were in control of this situation from the get-go. From the start, you were in control. That you, that you had the cross in your sight and you never wavered once. That you established your, your truth and your reign and your rule over this world. And you carried our sin to the cross and you buried it in the grave and you, you overcame as a victor. As God's yes and amen to your work on the cross. And so we thank you for that and we worship you and we praise you. Thank you, Jesus. We ask these things in your name.